Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. Billy Graham once said that the next great move of God, he believed, would be among Christians in the marketplace. We believe that too. We want to be a part of it, and we want to help equip and inspire you to do the same. So please follow us on socials at Expert Ownership. If you haven't been to our website yet, check it out, expertownership.com. But we are excited about what God is going to speak through us to you today. Here we go. Welcome back to Expert Ownership. This is a podcast where we help launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. And if you haven't subscribed, rated, or reviewed this podcast, this would be a great time to do that. Just take your phone. Takes about two clicks. Do you call them clicks? I don't know. It, I don't it's know. more than two clicks. Well, hey. Get to the podcast and then click well, the button that says What I want to know is what we're talking about today. Then you got a bunch of clicks with your as you're reviewing, you got a bunch of clicks with your finger to type. Yeah. And I also feel like we're saying old language by saying clicks when you're talking about your phone. Mm, touches. Hey, David said you t- you touch it with your finger. And speaking of finger, his thumb is like nizzasty. He's got this thumbnail that's growing it, back. It is I, I slammed my thumb in the door. Oh my I was gosh. I was running into the gym. Cover that thing, please. Take a look at Instagram, our social account, and you'll get a chance to see that thumbnail for yourself. What is our social account? <laughs> Expert ownership. Oh, that is on rock Instagram. Hey, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the single gauge that most people use to identify whether or not they're successful in business. What do you think that is? Money. Yeah, I mean that was a softball, but I thought you were gonna like switch it on me or something. No, it was just straight up money. No, because again, when you start talking to Christians, see, this is like when you have the right answer, and then we reinvent what we think the answer is. And but the reality is, it's the first answer to begin with. Here's the problem: a lot of especially Christian entrepreneurs in business, kingdom-minded people, they understand the value of money, but especially today, well, what about mental wellness? What about health? What about culture? I'm like, all important. But don't forget, if you don't make any money, you are a nonprofit. You're not in business. (laughs) You're not in business. But but even a nonprofit, they still have to bring in money. The way that they bring in money is just a different model. They ask for it. That's right. right? We don't ask for money. We go out and bring tangible value. That's right. That's not a hit to any nonprofit. They do great things. And I, I have nonprofits, right, that do the same thing where we're, you know, asking people for support and stuff. But in the for-profit space, think about this, whether you're nonprofit or for-profit, if I got to go out and run a mile and all I can do is breathe out, how long am I going to last? I'm going to say 15 seconds. (laughs) 15 seconds. Depends on how long I can hold my breath, right? You've got to breathe in. Breathing in is bringing revenue in. That's what gives you sustainability. So when it comes to money, it is our method for being sustainable in whatever it is that we need to do. That's right. And the challenge of saying we need money to be in business, we have to measure what we're bringing in. So it has to matter to us, but we can't be consumed by it. In fact, this ends up being like the greatest scripture that's like completely misappropriated when you look at 1 Timothy 6.10. And people generally assume it's money is the root of all evil. No. No. You're leaving out the most important part. For the love Yes. Yeah. And that love of money, if you get it out of alignment, becomes a greed or a covetousness or kind of an eager anticipation. Yeah. And that's what throws you out of alignment. Can, can I give you a quick example? Another example. Jason no. was decent about the, you got to breathe in in order to breathe out. <laughs> when I was at Liberty, we did a, a routine called squat till you drop. And it was supposed to put 100, 200 pounds uh, on your back squat for your uh, max 
So Jason and I did squat T drop. It was a six week routine, and every Monday was the big day. That's when you tried to increase your max. Like, like and all the players, up. all the players would get around. You know, we were on the baseball team, and they start clacking weights and screaming and yelling. You get up under the squat rack, you tighten up the belt really tight, and the coach is right behind you, pounding your chest. You got three fifteen on your back, and you're supposed to squat it as many times as you can. And then when you can't anymore, you've got three spotters, and you, and the, you have to do reps. it two more times, <laughs> two more reps. That was horrible. And it was <laughs> literally squat till you drop. There, you there were you dropped that, under the bar. There were dudes that threw up violently. There was a buddy of ours who all of the blood vessels in his eyes popped on his, was last, sick. On his last squat. The eye whites were red. Okay, so anyway, all these mothers that are listening to this are like, <laughs> my son will never. Well, I don't know. It made a man out of us. But my knee still bothers me for some reason. Anyway, for so some I reason. Have this click. <laughs> so, so here we get up under the squat to you drop. And the first time I get up, <clears throat> okay, I'm getting all, you know, the coach chalks my back and I'm like, Ugh! you know, everybody's smacking me. And I'm like, I get up underneath the weight. By the way, I did 315 17 times. Wow. That felt really good. I could not even do it once now, but whatever. Yeah. Okay, so I get He up, was in a bodysuit. I know get up bodysuits where you literally you can't help but to stand back up after you squat. Down. Some spring assistance. <laughs> spring assist. Is that what that's called? Knee wraps. Hey, so anyway, I get up under the rack and just as I'm getting up under, I just hear him. He just says really loud right behind me because he's behind me with his hands on my chest and he goes, big breath, deep breath in. The big breath will give you the power. And so I put the I, I get up under the rack and I stand it up. And as I'm taking two steps back, as I take the steps back, I went <gasps> and I'm just like breathing in as tight as I possibly can. That, and that then I went deep down. breath sounded like you just smoked a pack of Marlboros. No, I did not smoke Marlboros. Yeah, it was like <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> like like the crypt keeper. <laughs> Larry, would you, you're supposed to be hosting this. I am, podcast. I am, but I'm. I'm this is like, the worst podcast ever. It's we not need a good one. Host. We need Let's a new talk host. Money. It's not a good one. Okay. Let's continue. So I took this big deep breath, and I remember the strength I felt. I, I vividly remember how strong I felt getting down into the bottom of the squat and popping up because I had all that breath. I had all that air, and I was able to do three or four reps before I had to breathe again. And he would scream, you need another one, deep breath, get deep, you know, and, and I'd take that big, deep breath. Okay, that's the analogy from taking in money. The goal for that squat to you drop was not you have to take deep breaths. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to lift the weight. But in order to lift the weight, you had to take the deep breaths. That's what money represents in business. The goal is not to make money. The goal is to accomplish the vision for your company. Now, what is that vision for your company? You have to ask God specifically, what is the vision, mission, and purpose for my company? That's why we, we establish that first. But you cannot accomplish that without taking in the money. So when people say, how do you define success in business? And everybody's first, money. And that's why Jason and I, we instantly said, money now that's we, like getting under a squat rack literally not squatting it but just breathing a lot it's like, watch this <gasps> see that that's a good breath right no, that, there. that Yours, sounded horrible no, it, it sounded that, equally uh, equally yeah, smoky no it didn't no it, it did it sounded David's like he was in a in a scuba diving david gear. sounded like he had an esophagus problem is all I okay say. <laughs> so so but but this is this is why money matters is because you're lifting the weight of the vision and the mission you're lifting the weight of the purpose for which you were created and stepping into the marketplace 
this is ultimately what you're doing. Now, we've already talked vision and mission. We've already, go back. I forgot what number episode that is, but go back. You listen to that, but we're going to talk about taking in the deep breaths in order to accomplish it. Did you it. know there are more scriptures on money and wealth than any other topic in the Bible? I did know that, and yes. that's for a reason. What do you think it is? What do I think what is? Why do you think that, what do you, what reason do you think it is? Oh, I mean, just like common sense here. If you're going to talk about it that much and give it that much attention, it must be something that we need to know about. Yes. yes. Okay. So here, here's my take on that is that money represents security for so many people. And, and security is all about trust. Who can I trust and what can I trust? Right. That's money the number is a one, what? number one core human. Need. Your core human need that God created us in his image is the need to trust. Right. And so if money often represents security, then what does God need us to know about? That he is the source of our security. Money is just a tool that he uses to help us stay secure in terms of sustaining ourselves. But he is our security. So he's got to talk about the number one thing that can remove our sense of security in him and put it in money. So he talks about money. And so that's why. So it's, it's like that source of security. That's why I think, you know, talking about money is way deeper than just how we're going to spend our money in business. That's right. And think about the weird dichotomy. If you look in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and be enslaved by money. The challenge for Christians is you're hearing, okay, wait a second. God wants me to know about money. And if I do everything I can to know about money, which is including how to get more of it, well, now you're faced with this challenge of, okay, how much is too much? What am I supposed to be doing? And David, what you said is so true. People have to understand that the money is a means to an end to help you yeah. accomplish the purpose that God has mandated yes. for you to actually That's carry right. out in your life. Most people don't know how to do that. So for the two of you, how did you manage that challenge? Because there's a, there's a pressure coming from both sides. We'd like to make as much money as we possibly yeah. can, but the motivation is everything. So, so um, obviously, meth, uh, methods come after mindsets. So you need to fix your mindset on money first. And where I start is Scripture. And I think about Jesus at 29 years old. Now, we know all of our stories of Jesus, other than when he was born and when he showed up at 12 asking questions of the rabbis. Everything that we know about Jesus was from when he was 30 to 33, when he was in his nonprofit business. Now, he was in the for-profit space before that, and what, what was he? Carpenter. Carpenter. There yeah. you go. And Carpenter, it was probably more like a stonemason. You know, they didn't build with wood back then, so he was he's probably a stonemason. They did mason. a little bit. But what do you think he did at 29? What was his day like? You know, he'd probably get up early in the morning while it was still dark and spend time with his Heavenly Father, and then he'd get into the house and he'd make himself a little bit of lunch, and, and then he'd go and meet his buddies on the way to the job site. And then when the job was over... What do you think happened? He collected payment. And we think, no, gee, didn't collect payment. He didn't care about money. No, he had to provide Who for talks himself. like that? I'm just curious. I don't know the who that was. The Crypt Keeper. The Crypt Keeper. Yeah, it's crazy. David when he wakes up in the morning. <laughs> Jason's been watching reruns of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> oh, I love some Hacksaw Jim Duggan. We need to do an episode on nothing but 80s wrestlers. We can. Yeah. Like Sam Weiss. The Hitman Put that heart. on the roster. Crack the Hitman heart. Yes. Coco Beware. Ooh, Coco Beware. <laughs> Jimmy Superfly Snooka. The you remember the Iron Sheik? I love them all. Andre the up, Giant. I grew up on all of them. Saturday night main event. Yeah. Once a month. I did too. Saturday night live would not come on. Yeah. Saturday night main event would come on. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember Hogan. when Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant. That yeah, was that pretty was, awesome. Oh, and I hated it. I actually way. thought it was real. Yeah. Macho Man. Randy Savage. Okay, come okay, on, stop. But anyway, where was I? Oh, so we're talking about money, Jesus at 29. Now, from that, from having the mindset of Jesus at 29, he was just as much a minister at 29 as he was at 30. He was just in two different profit models. 
One was for-profit, one was non-profit. Where you're placed and how you're paid doesn't determine the minister. It's about your passion for Jesus and his presence in your life. It's about your passion for God and his presence in your life that makes you a minister. So Jesus was just as much a minister at 29 as he was at 30. Now let's just get rid of all this hogwash that says there's such a thing as professional ministers. And there are those in ministry and the rest of us aren't. No, that's bull. There are vocational ministers whose paycheck comes from a nonprofit or a church or a recognized ministry. But you're correct. That's where I was going with that. that Let's just call them vocational ministers because all of us are ministers. Yes. And so, but then I would say that being the foundation of knowing that Jesus at 29, so those of us who are in the for-profit space, we are in the same space Jesus was at 29. And he was just as much a minister then when, when nobody there really knew much of him uh, as he was at 30 when everybody knew about him. Now, that being the case, that's our foundation for money representing two things for us. Money is not our source of sustainability. God is. Money just represents our source of sustainability. And that being the case, because we place our trust, our faith, and our hope in God and not in the money that we have, If that's the case, then money is going to be two things for us. It's going to do two things. One, it's a carrot that gets us moving in the direction God wants us to go, right? Correct. I would not be doing expert ownership if I did not have, me and David both, did not have a financial model attached to it. If if it was just 100% free, and and we didn't have it set up in a nonprofit model, but it was 100% free, and I had to create a book and content and all the stuff that we do, and courses and community and all the stuff that we do for expert ownership, if it was free, I would not be doing it. That's right. I would stay in real estate, right? But David and I felt as though God wanted us to get in and help people know how to build, grow, scale businesses for the kingdom of God. And in order to do that, we had to create an economic model around it. Remember, Jesus at 29, he didn't go and work on people's houses for no money. He went and made money. He got paid. So money first is a carrot that gets you moving in a certain direction. So because there's the promise of money, that's the thing that gets you moving in that direction. And there's nothing wrong with that because God created you to care about your sustainability. You just can't see that as your source. Now, once you've moved in that direction, then money no no longer becomes the object. So now that God got us into kind of the knowledge economy where we're sharing our knowledge with people through expert ownership and we're making money doing it, now money is no longer my motivator. It got me moving in that direction, but I'm not motivated by money now. I'm motivated by transformation in people's lives. Let me give you a quick scripture. I've already dealt with the money issue. Now, don't let me forget there's a second facet to money. Second facet to money. The first facet is it's a carrot that gets you moving in the right direction. Second facet, coming soon. Yes, (laughs) Ephesians 4.28. Think about the context. This is ancient culture. This is the early church, very beginning, first century. The, The church in Ephesus The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something. Say something, Jason. Something. Something to share with anyone in need. God wants us to be producers, not consumers. We consume a portion, but we are to be producers. We're to be fountains, not drains. We're to be blessings, not burdens. And the only way to do that is when you work with your hands. Specifically, it doesn't mean you have to be a, a, a farmer. Farmer, exactly. But you're working. And what does that work do? It yields something. What is that something? Money. What does that money represent? It represents food, clothing, shelter. Yeah. Okay. Your ability to continue to do the things that God wants you to do. Exactly. And so the Apostle Paul then, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs the young men be diligent to work with your hands. If a man doesn't work, a man should not eat. Eat. We learned about that in the story of the pilgrims. And if you didn't hear that episode, you got to go back and listen to our Thanksgiving episode on how the pilgrims tried 
to do it differently. They tried this whole communal system. Communal system. It didn't work when they applied biblical truth to everybody owning their parcel of land and everybody working diligently with their own hands. It exploded into production and what we now know as the American experiment. So this let, is what it was. Let me let me get back into money being the carrot that gets you moving in a certain direction. Part if two. I, if I have the ability to um, mow a lawn and I'm really good at it. I know how to edge up the sides real well. I know how to stripe the lawn and all that kind of stuff. What what determines which lawns I mow, right? Yeah. Do I just go out and just start mowing people's lawns? Well, no. What determines it is where can I make money and That's who's right. willing to pay me to mow their lawn? Now, let's say money is that carrot. So now I know that this house at 123 Apple Street is willing to pay me to mow their lawn. And I go out there and I say, you know what? It's going to cost you 80 bucks because it's decent size lawn. But I get out there and once I do, I realize, oh shoot, I forgot that they've got this section over here that they own and it's actually more like 160 bucks. But I've already quoted them 80, right? Now I'm there because money was the carrot that got me there. Right. Now I have a decision to make. I can either do an $80 job or I can do a $160 job and collect 80 bucks. Now money was the carrot that got me there, but money is not the carrot that keeps me there. So now I do a hundred because your character because you, you work according to your ability and not according to your pay. I do one hundred and sixty dollars and I collect eighty bucks. Okay, now money was the carrot that got me there. That's the first facet of money. Secondly, money is the measuring stick that tells me whether or not I should go back. Okay. Now I get done. I did a hundred and sixty dollar job on that lawn. I collect eighty dollars. As I'm leaving, I say to myself, I'm not going back to that lawn unless, unless I get one hundred and sixty bucks. Right? Right. So it's the carrot that got me there, but it's also a measuring stick that's going to tell me whether or not I should come back. And when we work like that and we recognize that that's the facet that money plays in our work, because while I'm there, if I do a $160 job, I collect 80, you know what that homeowner is going to love me. Love you. Love me. And want you to come and back they're for gonna 80. they're going to say, can you come back? And I'm like, you know what? I actually messed up my bid, but I honored my price. And therefore, the next time I come out, it's going to have to be 160 bucks. But you are going, the very fact that you did a $160 job is going to make a mark on them. It will. And because you did a common job in an uncommon way, which means that you did more than what you were paid to do, it makes that task sacred for the next person that they hire. And that next person comes in and does an $80 job for 106, you know, does, does an $80 job. And they're like, you know what? I like the first guy better. That's right. And they'll invite you back. That's right. And then the character piece to your point, David, is why we're in business here. It's right. equally important that we would actually be developing not just our character, but inspiring other people to raise the standard of their living as well. Exactly. And when they see the example, they see the testimony that we deliver, it speaks to them louder than That's just right. about anything else. Now this brings up, there's a difference between being frugal and being cheap. Yes, talk about this. Okay, so talking all things money here. If you're cheap, you cut costs at someone else's expense. If you're frugal, you cut costs at your own expense. So we as business owners, we as kingdom business can I say owners that? need can to I be frugal. It? Can I say it another way? I yes. like when you guys one-up each other with yeah, how I you say it. it because yeah. That was David, good. Let me say it one more David time. David said was about a 7 out of 10. Okay, okay let's get okay, this. So cheap people maximize what they get and minimize what other people get. So, the, so they have to minimize what other people get in order for them to maximize what they get. But frugal people, they minimize what they get so they can maximize what others get. That's the difference. It was pretty good. I thought that, that was, was good. Pretty, okay, it was I, pretty good. I, I, mean, I think it's decent, but it's, a, it's a, rock, a mouthful. It was that a, was rock star. It was, it was seven plus. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So, but either way, something that grates me is cheap Christians. Yes. It 
bothers the fool out of me because you don't you must not take into consideration all of scripture we are not to be cheap people right he has not called us to be cheap he's generous with us he's gracious with us god is so good to us we should be the same way with other people. Now, I'm not saying give away your car and your house and everything else. But I'm maybe, saying, but maybe. If God puts that on your heart. That's right. Like he did with the pastor at Gateway Church, Robert Morris, like literally handed the keys to his house to somebody. I mean, that's amazing. But hey, t- uh, tell them our tipping rule. Remember? Well, we, rule? We, we tip according to who we are, not yes. based on the service. Yeah, we, we tip according to the humanity of the person who's serving us, not based on whether or not the service was good. Because we as believers, look, if somebody gives you bad service and you leave them a 50% tip or a 100% tip or even better, 200% tip, and then you write, Jesus loves you and so do we, you will make an impact in their lives. That's correct. exactly right. And that's why God wants us. He wants us to use money like that. Money is a tool. He wants us to do that. And the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, he says, take up collections before I come. So that you don't have to take up a collection when I'm there and be prepared to yes. give. What Jason and I have done in business, we, we have a corporate giving account, but we also have personal giving accounts that are outside of our tithes back to our church. And so what that's done is that's allowed us to accumulate some money so that we can always be prepared to give and yeah. always be prepared to be generous. Because you're not prepared. Like if, if you're trying to give out of your general account or your operations account, there's never enough. That's right. it's like, oh my gosh, my churn rate's too high. You can't give, and it's too hard of a decision to make. But if you make that decision monthly when it's quiet and you build a little margin during that day and you can push some money over there and it'll start to grow. And the next thing you know, you're like, wow, I can be really generous. That widow really needed a car. You know, I can hook her up. Or even something as small as, you know, I bought a push lawnmower for my neighbor. Right. Something as simple as that. That's right. Hey, you know what? I love this subject about money. We need to do this more. We do. We should talk about this more. In fact, we should just follow the lead in the scriptures that we should talk about money enough so that people oh, understand oh, it and actually hmm. apply those principles to their lives really? in a biblical way. I like you, it. Larry. All right, let's wrap up. Hey, if you haven't had a chance to actually read through the book, Expert Ownership, there's a whole chapter, a whole step on money and the six-step process of how to actually take the money that you have and do more with it. Yeah. So instead of just trading time for money to, for the rest of your life. To take your active income from your business and turn it into passive income from your investments. Incredible. Six-step, grip-to-drip process. Go get the book. That's right. Well, thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or review this podcast if you haven't done so. And as we wrap up, own it or loan it, high-risk investments. Crypto, uh, foreign okay. exchanges. Well, okay, so... The, you, quick, okay. got to be quick. Uh, but you have to put it into context. Oh, you can do high-risk if you're financially in a position to do high-risk. Okay. But if it's early in your business, early in your family, heck no. Perfect. Risk. I would say own it uh, so long as it's 10% or less of your investment portfolio. Excellent. I would say own it as well. Okay, but can I, I say one thing real yes. quick? What we forgot about the book. You can get it for free plus shipping at expertownership.com. Dot com. All right. We'll see you next time. Don't forget impact over income, but it's okay to pursue both. Just get the order right. All right. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.